You know, I get a, a lot of opportunities to be very proud of, of being pastor here at the Heights. Now, I hope it's a godly pride, uh, but I, I'm very proud of, of you and, and what y'all do. There are a lot of different reasons, but uh, boy, what's just happening and what's going on in the coming weeks is just so exciting. You know, we, we say that our vision is to impact our community and our world for Jesus Christ. And uh, just seeing some profound ways y'all are doing just that right now. You know, we, we just recently had a team come back from Nicaragua. We we had uh, close to 60 people there. They fed, they built homes. I mean, b- put people in homes. Uh, saw 70 people come to Christ uh, during that trip and, and just a lot of, of great work. Well, no sooner are they back than we had another team leave yesterday, a dozen or so that went to Haiti and will be doing many of the same kinds of things. So, I man, it's exciting to see you going out into the world, trying to have that, that impact for the Lord. And, and yet, Part of that is also our community. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, the last couple of Sundays, you've heard us talking about Angel Tree. And uh, this is, is providing a gift, providing a, a bit of a Christmas for a child or children that have a parent or parents in prison. Uh, as you can imagine, that's going to be a home where there's a real sense of, of loss, a sense of maybe hopelessness. And uh, we had 275 kids. Y'all got every single one of those. And uh, over, let's see, I guess in the couple of weekends, uh, we'll be bringing them here, providing a gift, providing a dinner. They're going to see Jesus is alive, some just profoundly great music, uh, very inspirational music. And then in that, the opportunity to share the gospel. So that I means it's just a real act of goodness that is going to touch about 200 homes. But on top of what we're doing here on this campus, our Midlothian campus, this week is going to deliver Thanksgiving dinners to 300 homes in that community. Is that phenomenal? 300 homes. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do the math on that. Where'd that money come from? And uh, they did have a lot of giving. There was actually somebody that came along and said, I'll match whatever the, the whole congregation gives. And 300 homes. Along with that, uh, the Midlothian campus is going to VCU this week and going to feed a Thanksgiving dinner to 300 international students. That's kind of both our community and our world, isn't it? And so folks, you, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. Man, let's yeah, get excited about that. So you think of what's going to happen really from this week on through about December 16th. Our church family, you, your goodness, your kindness is going to have an impact in about 500 homes in our community and another 300 students at VCU. And I, I applaud you. Thank you for what you do to serve him and to be God's kindness uh, in this world. I, I think that is just incredible and a great opportunity for this. Having said all that, why don't we pray about it and just lift up that up to God and ask his blessing. Let's pray. Father, I just come before you today. Thank you for what, what our church family, some 60 of us got to be involved with at Nicaragua. We thank you for the, the 70 people that made professions of faith, the homes that were built, the food that was given out. And Lord, I, I pray that way beyond our leaving that that work continues. 
and uh, that you continue to bless and, and work there, Lord, a, a great work of your grace and, and your goodness. Lord, I lift up to you the team that, that left for Haiti yesterday. I thank you for their safe trip, their safe arrival. I, I pray they've woken up to a great morning there and just a super opportunity to, to gather with God's people in Haiti and worship there in the church all together. And Lord, I pray that as they go throughout this day, they're just going to be refreshed and encouraged and energized and, and ready tomorrow to really hit the week working and uh, doing the work of the gospel, doing the work of your kindness and goodness uh, in that land that has been ravaged so many times through, through various problems and natural disasters. And I just pray that you'll use that for a real good there. Lord, I, I lift up to you Angel Tree. I lift up to you the homes that we're going to be in with Thanksgiving dinners, the, the students we're going to reach uh, this week. God, would you bless that? Use that to tell every one of these that you see them, that you love them, that you care about them and where they are and what they're going through. And I pray it'll just be a real opportunity uh, for your kindness and, and your goodness to be felt in all of those homes and all of those lives this week. Lord, I pray that as you watch our church, I pray you are blessed. I pray you're warmed by, by all this that we do that is out of love for you. And Lord, just being so touched and impacted ourselves by your kindness and goodness. And I pray you are honored, you are worshipped, you're blessed in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do come today uh, to finish our series, It's Complicated. We've been in this for about two months now. I would not say this is the most fun series I've ever done. Uh, there's been a few mornings I didn't think, wow, I can't wait to get there and talk about that. Uh, it's, been, it's been kind of a heavy series, kind of a, a heavy message, but, but boy, a necessary one, I think. You know, folks, it, when God speaks into our world, into your life and into my life, it's for good. It's always for good. He does not speak into our lives for another reason but our good and our well-being. Now, just because it's for our good and for our well-being doesn't mean it's always easy to hear it and, and to put it to action. Doesn't mean it's always fun to hear. Doesn't mean even that we like it, maybe in the moment that we hear it. But, but it is always for our good that He speaks. And we have heard him now speak on, on issues like marriage and divorce and living together, or pornography, money, politics, all these wide variety of, of issues. And today we're going to try to listen to God on boycotting. You may hear that word and think, boycotting? How does that fit into this? How, how did that topic land in this? But when we say boycotting, what we're really talking about is not a particular action, but what we're trying to do in boycotting. We're trying to impact, we're trying to affect our culture. And over the last couple of decades, in a consumer-driven culture, boycotting has tended to be somewhat of an effective way uh, when a company and, or an organization or something like that, maybe we would use the phrase, gets out of line, to, to kind of bring them back in. But I guess my challenge today, my thought today, is effective or not, was it biblical? Is that the mandate that the church has as we go out and engage our world? You know, uh, folks, in, two, in 1997, the, the Southern Baptist, our, our, our convention, we voted to, uh, to boycott Disney. We, we were going we to boycott them. We all voted on that in 1997. Eight years later, in 2005, we voted to end the boycott. 
I was in that vote. It's one of the silliest moments I've ever been in. As we voted, you could almost feel, you could almost hear, and there's about six, 7,000 people in the room. You could almost hear this, we were boycotting Disney? Or they were saying this, we're still boycotting Disney? And so as we voted to end it, we were like, did we win? <laughs> did it make any difference? And, 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 that, and that's what I meant by silly. I'm not even sure we know what we accomplished, if we accomplished anything. I don't even think most of us knew we were even still doing that. You know, folks, we are called to engage our culture. And that won't always be pleasant. That won't always be easy. But we're also called to be smart about it. Time is urgent. Time is intense. we got to be smart about what we're doing. Jesus said it this way. He said, listen, I am sending you out there. We're going to leave here. We're not, we're not staying here through the night. We're not staying here through Thanksgiving. We're leaving. And Jesus says, I'm sending you back out into that world as sheep in the midst of wolves. you got to be smart. Innocent, but smart. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't fight dirty, but fight fight. Take, take a stand. Take a stand for the, for the cultures. Take a stand for, for what we believe in and, and, and for what we do. You know, folks, we used to be the majority. Christianity used to be the majority in this country. We, we kind of had the power, and that's why boycotting was somewhat effective. That's why by boy, boycotting would work. Because we, we could actually say there was enough of us, there was enough common agreement that we could say, hey, listen, if you don't call it a Christmas tree... If you don't stop giving benefits to homosexuals or to live-ins, if you don't think like we think, if you don't do what we want done, we'll punish you. We'll punish you with the dollar. We'll punish you with the bottom line. And for, like I said, three, four, five decades here, that's, that's been somewhat effective. We could actually pull a company, we could pull an organization back in line. My question today is, was that biblical? Are we to have a strategy? And when, I, when you think about what a boycott does, it punishes a company. And that's what I'm asking. Are we called to go out and engage our world in the sense that we punish them into doing what we want? You know, if you have the power, you can make somebody do something. Some of us as parents know that feeling for a little bit. Maybe we know that as a boss. If you have the power, you can make somebody do something. But that rarely changes the heart. Making somebody be something, do something, rarely changes the heart. And folks, God is all about the heart. And, and now that we're not the majority, I mean, I would question today, biblical or not, I don't know how effective boycotting is going to be for us anymore because we don't have the common agreement. We don't even have the majority of people anymore. But whether it's effective or not, Maybe we need to scratch our heads here and go, huh, now what was that God said about the heart? What, what was that that God is after? What is the mandate on the church as we go to engage the world? Now, as I talk through this today, folks, I want to be clear about something. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't have personal convictions, that you shouldn't have a, a conscience. I mean, some of us will say, you know what, I, can't, I just can't shop there anymore. I can't be a part of that organization, not with the way they've taken a stand. They've been so aggressive against biblical values. They've been so aggressive against the church or Christianity. Man, if you've got a conviction about that and, and don't feel like you should associate with that, or, or man, you absolutely, you should do that. 
Follow your convictions. What I'm saying though is there is a difference, and I would rarely say this. There's a difference between what I do as an individual, my matters of conscience, my convictions, and then what we do publicly, formally, officially as the church. There's a difference between me saying, you know what, I just don't feel comfortable being involved with that or a part of that, and the church saying, we're going to punish you. There, there is a difference. Now, what I want to look at today is, I want to start with a couple of verses, a series of verses, where I think you get a boycotting mentality. I, I mean, folks, good people have led the church to boycotting, and, and I don't think they were, you know, didn't care what Scripture said. I think there are a handful of verses that, that talk about how we engage, how we impact our culture. So, I want to look, first of all, at some verses that might lead us to boycott, that might lead us to take on the culture war. Let me start with Matthew chapter 5. This actually, this is one of the verses I would say we get our church vision statement from. That we're trying to impact our community and our world for Christ. When I see words like salt and words like light, those are words of impact. You know they've been there. You can't ignore them. Okay, and that's what, folks, when the church moves, when we leave here, when we move into our community and move into our world, Jesus has given us a mandate to have an impact on that world. When he says, you're the salt of the earth. Now, when we think of salt, we just mostly think of seasoning, don't we? You know, it makes popcorn better, makes the meat a little bit better. Of course, some of us are thinking, I can't put that on there, my blood pressure and heart anymore. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is he saying you're the blood pressure of the earth? No, you see, in this day and age, and you all know this, they didn't have refrigerators when Jesus was walking around, did they? And salt was used as a preservative. Salt was put all over the fish. It was put all over the meat. It was used as a preservative. So when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying, you are the preservative. As you move into the culture, you're to hold at bay rotten decay. You're to hold at bay the advancement of sin, the, the impact of sin. You are to engage culture in that way. You're the light of the world. You're to shine light into the darkness. You're to shine light into the lies. You're to shine light into the false values and the wrong values. The world should know that you're walking around on the earth if you're being salt and you're being light. So these, these, are, these are verses that send us into the world. 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has light with darkness? A verse somewhat like that. Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world. Folks, these verses clearly tell us people should see a difference between us and the world. They should see a difference. We shouldn't like we're just going along to get along and, oh, we, you know, in here we do all the same stuff they do out there. We have all the same. No, we're to look different. Because we're not the same. We're, we're not yoked with them. We're to be different from that. Jesus said in Mark 8, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. Jesus is saying, you remember a moment ago, he sent us out into the world. We're like sheep going out among the wolves. He says, as you go out there, you're to carry something. You're to carry the word of the gospel. You're to carry the word of, of God's word. We're to carry what God's word says about marriage, about money, about life. We're to carry that out there. And Jesus says, listen, when you get out there, if you just clamp down, you remain quiet because oh, that won't be received well here. I'll be made fun of here. He says, hey, listen, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. That's a hard verse, by the way. I think it's one of the harshest statements Jesus makes. 
He says, if you're ashamed of me as you go out into your world tomorrow, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come again. And boy, folks, when he comes again, that's not a time and a place you want him to be ashamed of you. So see, we are, we're to be caring, whatever the cost. And it actually says that. Let's look at the next verse. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You heard me say way back at the very beginning of this series, you know, American Christians, we've largely gotten a pass. We really have not been through that much persecution. In this time and in this nation, it really has not cost a lot to be a Christian. Not like it does in other nations, not like it does in other times in history. But Jesus says, if you're living for me, it's going to cost you. People are going to hate you for that. They're going to attack you for that. So folks, when you hear these verses, I mean, you, you kind of get this mentality. There's our team and there's the other team. There's the good guys and there's the, the bad guys. And, and boy, we are to be out there confronting and dealing with the world. Look at this one. Preach the word. Okay, you remember me saying this, this, these three words right here are not about what I do on Sunday morning. These three words are for every one of us in here. This word can also be interpreted proclaim. You and I are to go out into the world and we are to proclaim what God says. And the rest of this verse says, and you should feel a sense of urgency about that. Because it's going to get worse and worse. People are going to listen less and less. I think some of us would say, well, we got to be pretty close to that time. Okay, this is, there is a sense of urgency, meaning nobody in this room can say, well, that's not me. I, I wouldn't do that. Well, I'm not that trained or I don't know that much. Well, I, I can't. No, we are to all feel a sense of urgency, all feel a sense of burden about this. So again, you read all these verses, you almost feel like we're in a huddle and we say, ready, break, let's go get them. And we charge into the world each Sunday to take on the war. But you know, folks, as you look at each of these verses, I mean, clearly, take a stand, be identified, be different, fight sin, stand for the truth. We are to do those things. But folks, all of these verses are more about our behavior, our conduct, than it is what another group of people's behavior is. It, th these verses are more about how the world is going to make us feel unaccepted and unwelcome. Not how we attempt to move into the world and make them feel unaccepted and unwelcome. You see, that, there again, that's that, that difference between a strategy of punishment. We don't go into the world. We engage the world, yes. We stand separately from the world, yes. We proclaim the truth no matter the cost, yes. But not in a way... That is to attack, to hurt, to punish them. Let me show you that, that mindset through a different set of verses. There are verses that say all the same things of what we've just read. But they kind of broaden on how we do that. They, they broaden on what it looks like. I call this to, to stand and proclaim, but not punish. Look at this, First, uh, uh, first Peter chapter 2. For this is the will of God by doing what? Say that together. Good. This is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Boy, that's not very nice, is it? They're ignorant out there. And they're living by false ideas. They're living by false values. Man, we need to put that to silence. How do we do it? By doing good. You know, folks, I just talked a moment ago about how great that is. What, what you are doing. In, in picking up those angel tree kids and in our other campus, going into those homes. Do you realize what that does? It silences. You say, well, what does it silence? 
Anybody heard any, uh, anybody in the culture say, oh, you know, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites, judgmental, mean people. They don't do anything good. All they try to do is make people like them. Guess what? I think there's going to be about 500 homes in about two or three weeks that are going to say, man, that's not been my experience with the church. Man, they met us at a real time of need. They, they did something good for us. Man, they really, they really helped us. Folks, goodness broadens our base, broadens our platform for delivering the gospel. I mean, it's all good that we're gathering around here at Thanksgiving and Christmas and trying to share and trying to help others, but it's doing even more than that. You see, that work goes well beyond, you know, when we bring Angel Tree kids in here. It goes well beyond when the other campus is delivering those meals. It silences the attack against the church. It broadens the platform for delivering the gospel. Goodness gives us a greater opportunity than attack. 1 Peter chapter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. Now there's the culture war again. You know, it's us against them. A defense implies somebody's on the offense. Man, we need to be ready to stand. We need to be ready to proclaim the truth. We need to be able to explain. We want to be able to explain why we have a hope in Jesus, why we have a hope in God's word. Boy, let's do it. We'll we'll just beat them. We're smarter than all the rest of them, right? How do we do that? With gentleness. With gentleness and respect. Gentleness says something about what my voice sounds like. Gentleness says something about my demeanor and how I come across to that person that I'm engaging with. Respect says something about how they end up feeling. You know, folks, some people out there in the world are acting horrible. They're lost. What, what, what do we anticipate lost people to act like but horrible? But you know what? Inside that horribleness is a soul. A soul that is going to live eternally somewhere. And we respect their soul. We respect the moment that we have in that. You know what I think part of what the culture was, culture war has negatively done for the church? Is we're trying to defeat. That's what you do in a war, right? There's a victor and there's a loser. And we're trying to defeat ideas. We're trying to defeat people. We're trying to defeat organizations. And we forget that behind these organizations that we're defeating is a human soul that does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, these verses are still sending us out to engage. But it reminds us there's, there's a person behind that idea. There's a person behind that horrible thing. Okay, let's look at another verse here. And the Lord's servants. I love this verse. I mean, if I pick one verse that would just be the mandate for how we leave church every Sunday, I like this one. The Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome. Now you go back to that verse a moment ago. It said we ought to be ready to defend. But folks, when we're defending what we believe, when we're standing for the truth, it shouldn't sound like we're arguing it shouldn't sound like, oh, I, man, I don't like you. And, and when I give you these three points, I'm going to show you how wrong you are. Boy, you're going to have to say I'm right. That's, no, we don't come across like we're quarreling, like we're fighting, like we're trying to defeat you. We're kind. <laughs> are we? <laughs> That's the question mark. We are to be kind to everyone. Does everybody in here know somebody you can be kind to? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, man, there's people that we enjoy being kind to. There's people we want to be kind to. And then there's, then there's the others. Hey, Lord, have you seen everyone? Yeah, I have. 
They're horrible. And I desperately want to get to their heart. And I'm going to get there through your kindness. Be kind. Now, does be kind just be, you know, just smile and go along. We love everybody. We respect every idea. No, we're able to teach. We're able to explain, hey, you know what? God's Word has something to say about what marriage looks like. Hey, God's Word has something to say about how we deal with enemies. Hey, God's Word has got something to say about money. Hey, God's Word's got something to say about that issue. Folks, able to teach is not just for your Sunday school teacher. Able to teach is for every one of us. We're studying God's Word. We're learning God's Word. And we're ready to say, hey, God's Word says this. We're all out there ready to do that. And when, because the Bible's already told us that if we're doing that, we're going to be hated for it. And when the hate comes, when the evil comes, what do we do? Do we get our best weapon out and fight back? We patiently endure. We don't fight back. We don't enter the quarrel. We patiently endure the evil. Correcting opponents. You see how this verse just kind of goes back and forth, back and forth? There's culture war. There's gentleness. We correct opponents with gentleness. One more verse. Look at this. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they see your good works. He didn't say so they see how we could win every argument, though we should strive to win every argument. He didn't say so they could see how spiritual and smart you are. We should certainly strive for being spiritual. We should certainly strive for being smart. He said, I want them to see how good you are. I want the world to stop and say, man, it's, it's always the church. It's always Christians that are fixing, providing, helping, correcting. It's always Christians that are doing good. And when you and I do that, we give the greatest opportunity that that person actually one day ends up praising God the Father the same way you and I praise God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, folks, did you hear in these verses over and over and over, we're hearing gentleness, we're hearing goodness. The Bible has sent us out into the world. It has told us to engage the world, but it also told us how. And nowhere is it saying, I want you to attack the world. I want you to punish the world. I want you to make them pay for their evil. It says, no, I, I don't want, that's not how I'm working through you. I want to work through your kindness. I want to work through your goodness as you stand for the truth. So let me say it again, and I know I'm being repetitive. We don't just smile and go along to get along for the sake of kindness. We are there to stand for truth. We're there to explain truth. We're there to stop sin from advancing as much as we can help it. But it is through kindness and goodness that we do that. You know, folks, again, I think as a church, when we get caught up in the culture war, we're wanting to win, we're wanting to defeat. The reason we're not being gentle, the reason we're not being kind, because I think a lot of us really are kind of gentle. I think a lot of us really are kind of kind, but we've made the war about corporations and, and this group and that group, and we, maybe we forget there's people. You know, when we say, we won! What do we mean by that? If you were to say, something happened this week, oh my gosh, look, the Christians won. What would have to happen for you to say that? Would it be somebody coming to Christ? Or would it be because we brought an idea down? We brought a a group down. We brought a, a political system down. We haven't been sent to bring those things down. We've been sent to win souls for Jesus Christ. Let me give you one last verse. 
probably for me, the clearest verse that says we are not sent into the world to punish the world. And that would be 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now you could almost put in any sin here, but in 1 Corinthians 5, he's talking about sexually immoral people. He says, don't associate with them. And I'll say, amen, that's right. We sure shouldn't. Boy, we should. And then, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? I've I know I gave you that command and I've seen what some of you are doing with it. So let me back up and let me be clear. I'm not talking about this sexually immoral out there. <laughs> I'm not talking about this. Well, Lord, that, yeah, that out there, we're supposed to, boy, we're supposed to give it to them, right? They're sexually immoral. They're complete. No, you can't disassociate from them. If you disassociate from them, how are they going to come to the Lord? If you and I are not building friendships with sinners, For the purpose of the gospel, I want to be clear about that. (laughs) If we're not building those friendships, if we're not associating with them, how will they ever stop being sexually immoral? Of course we're to associate with the sexually immoral of the world and any other kind of sin. To deliver the gospel. We'll say, well, if if we're not supposed to, if it's not of the world, then what sexually immoral is he talking about? Oh, here it is. No, I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's sexually immoral. Folks, we don't punish the world for acting lost. (laughs) We punish believers for acting lost. Does that make sense? By the way, everything right here is so totally foreign to the American church. Very few churches, including ours, are really trying to engage in this. You know what this verse just said? I don't attack sexually immoral people out in the world that are lost. But if there's a sexually immoral person in here, we're absolutely supposed to go to that person. Hey man, listen, you can't do that. You, you can't live that way. You're, you're giving this appearance. You're, you're doing this. And if that person resists that, if they rebel against that, if they refuse to repent, this passage actually says we are to remove friendship And we are to let them feel the sting of rejection. Does this just sound completely foreign? We're we're to actually make them feel rejected. So it wakes them up to the heaviness of their sin. The weight of their sin. Now part of the problem with enacting a verse like this is this verse implies that fellowship is important to us. And the New Testament actually says that, that that it is not safe for you and me out in that world without the fellowship of each other. I think the average American Christian, I don't need y'all. I'd go down the street to the other church. And if we did something like this, I tell you as pastor, oh no, they're going to go out of here. They're going to say we're mean and we're judgmental and we're hateful and they're going to talk bad about us. We're going we're to get a bad reputation. <laughs> this is so foreign. We're not out there disciplining the world for doing what the only thing they know to do is. We are supposed to discipline one another when we act like the world. Look at this last line. For, I, uh, for what have I to do with judging those on the outside? That's God. That's God's job. We are to hold each other accountable. The New Testament commands that. The Bible has not told me to go out there and judge the world. So this is why I would say we have not been sent out with a strategy to punish. We've been sent out with a strategy to advance the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we are to carry. And if and when that person rejects the gospel, I pray for him and I move on to the next. 
And they're in God's hands. Whether he chooses to judge them right here, right now in this, in this time, or whether he waits till he returns, that's God, not us. So you say, well, then, okay, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to, in- we are supposed to influence the world. We are supposed to influence righteousness. How do we do that? Let me leave you real quick with four points. Number one, live by your own conscience and conviction. I want to return to that. I would encourage every one of us that, you know what, I just can't, I can't be a part of that association. Boy, I can't, I can't buy from there. I mean, this world that we're talking about, right, that's where we get groceries and, and we get entertained and we go on vacation and, 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 and you know, we buy clothes. And you say, man, that company is just so antagonistic to God and to, I, I just can't in good conscience go, that's fine. Don't. Don't go in there, but just understand that when you choose not to go to that company and instead you're going to go shop at this company, this company more than likely holds the exact same values. Folks, about 95%, that total number is totally made up, but it's the closest way I can say of saying almost all companies holds the same non-biblical values. We're, we're not a Christian nation anymore. Our government's not. Our companies are not. So waiting. I'm going to shop only at Christian companies. Well, then all you're going to eat is chicken and yogurt. And praise God for Chick-fil-A and Sweet Frogs. Amen? Yeah. Hey, very, very grateful for them. Well, of course, there's Hobby Lobby. For the love of God, I can't go inside that place. Holy cow. That hurts. I went in Hobby Lobby once. I, I ran out screaming. Praise God, there was dicks right next door. That's fine to say, I can't shop there. Just realize you're probably going to go shop somewhere else that holds all the same values. Have convictions, but have them, hold them humbly. Because our knowledge is not always perfect. And let's be honest, we're not always all even very good at being consistent with our own convictions, are we? So let's be humble. Number two, and number two really is number one and the only one. Folks, learn to proclaim and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to change a life? You want to change a home? You want to change a neighborhood? You want to change a culture? You want to change a nation? God gave us one tool for doing that. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You change the heart. You change the mind. You change the behavior. It is the gospel. You say, well, why isn't the gospel having any impact? Most surveys say four out of every 100 believers will ever share their faith one time. I'm not even talking about having a lifestyle of evangelism. Most of us will never share the gospel even once. And then we what's happening to our country? God gave us one way to affect our country. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, let's, let's, let's live God's commands as well as proclaim them and defend them. Just a little statement. Let's, not, let's, let's be careful we're not being hypocrites, right? <laughs> let's not go out there and throw stones at these five sins and then go over and do the same five sins privately in our closet. And let, 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 hey, we're imperfect. We sin. We fail. But let's not do it on purpose. Let's not do it uncaring. Let's really strive to come in line with the very word we proclaim out in our world. And then lastly, let gentleness and goodness. You've got this individual. You've got this company. You've got this organization that, and it's just hard for you not to use the word, I hate them. Man, they stand for everything I'm against. They they are coming against us. They're causing us loss. What do I do? Whatever you do. 
Think of how the words goodness and gentleness could begin to describe the words that come out of your mouth, your actions toward that individual, that organization. Let goodness do that. Man, that's hard. I mean, some of them are awful, aren't they? But you know what our motive would be? God's grace. Because the only difference between me, me, Randy Hahn, and the person that is on the other side of the culture war, and I'm talking about the most evil leader on the other side of the culture war, the only difference between me and him is the grace of God. The difference between me and that person is not how smart I am. It's not how strong I am. It's, boy, you see all the good I'm doing and the things I've been involved with. It's not how spiritual I am. It's, oh, I picked the right religion. Oh, I picked the right... None of those things are what make me different from that person. The only thing that makes me different from that person is God's act of grace in my life. Now, folks, I have the joy of living every day knowing I've been forgiven of all my sins. I have the security of knowing if I die today or I live another 50 years and then die, when I die, I'm going straight to heaven. And that's not an arrogant statement. I'm not proclaiming to you how good I am and how good I'm living. I'm proclaiming to you my faith and how good Jesus lived for me. How well Jesus lived for me. I've been declared holy, not because I'm holier than thou. I've been declared holy because of what Jesus did for me. And that work had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with Him. So the only difference between me and that evil, rotten person is I've had a chance to know God's grace. God says, until I come back, you do everything you can to communicate that grace to Him. We are to be a people of grace. We are to be a people of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, those are easy words to say. They're quite a challenge to figure out. Especially when some of this evil is going on around us. They're, they're, man, the Lord, there really are people and organizations. It, it hurts our feelings. They talk bad about you. They talk bad about the church. They, they attack us. And, and Lord, we get defensive. Lord, I pray that there would be a commitment in every one of our lives to know your word, to study your word, to be able to talk with people about what your word communicates. And Lord, as we get smarter and better at doing that, may we work in tandem with how we do that gently, lovingly, with an actual concern, not whether I win the argument, but whether their soul is opened up to the beauty and the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that every one of us feels a burden to change our country, to change our world. Oh, Lord, draw us back to your word that clearly defines and directs what that's to look like and how we're to do that. We need your help, Lord. We foul it up. We need your help. We ask for your help. Lord, I pray our church, I pray the heights is on the front lines of standing for truth. I pray we're on the front lines of fighting evil and holding at bay sin. And I pray that as you watch us, I pray that as our community watches us, they see goodness and they say gentleness, they see respect. We ask for your help in this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.